What you're about to experience is one man's quest to see beyond the tumultuous period we're in and to envision what lies just beyond our grasp, yet well within our reach. Welcome to Larry Rifkin's America Trends, where the future has arrived, and it's just in time. Welcome back to America Trends. John Krofsik and Larry Rifkin. And John, I have said to you that uh, we want to look at things that are trending in our society. Yeah. And uh, we're not afraid to take on some pretty interesting topics that perhaps you don't hear elsewhere. You certainly don't read about the one that we're going to give you today on the front pages. No, I didn't know this was a problem until... Well, I didn't say it was a problem, John. I said it's a trend. Oh, a trend. And therefore... Let me correct myself. Yeah. I didn't know this was a trend. But it's significant. I mean, I think it is. I really do. As someone who has gone through the procedure, uh, but not knowing much about it when I did, and having very little say in the matter, I must uh, suggest. Well, look, folks, if you read the write-up already to the podcast, yes, you not. know that we're talking about... The issue of circumcision among the male gender. And, uh, John, it's a really important topic because, you know, until we started getting into it and researching it, I never realized how uh, uncommon the practice is in a place like Europe. Did you? Yeah, no, I didn't know that either. I thought it was, you know... Everybody does it. Right. But, but no, that's not the case. <laughs> because it was supposed to be better. you know. Right. They, that's what we had learned. It was healthier yeah, and so forth. Yeah. But I've got to say, in Europe, virtually no males yeah. are circumcised. Well, they can find us Americans easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. How do you spot an American with their pants on? That's the difficulty. Well, circumcision rates seem to be dropping sharply. Well, I don't want to talk about sharp and circumcision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, saying, that's not good. Circumcision rates are dropping sharply in the U.S. And we really had an honest and serious and thoughtful conversation about this. Honest to goodness, I didn't know whether we could go longer than five, six, seven questions. But once I got to speaking to Anthony Lasquadro, uh, he is the founder and director of Intaction. And if you're looking for their website, it's called intaction.org. And as we went along in the conversation, John, as you know, well, I'll let you find out. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you may think as you listen to him, oh, well, he's an advocate because he's not circumcised. But you're going to be a little bit surprised by the depth that we get into about this conversation. I'm there's, surprised. There's nothing terribly graphic. <laughs> all right. I just want you to know that yeah, you yeah. can listen to this and have a child in the room and they're not going to run around screaming and be all, you know, uh, uh, you know, confused at the end of this. No, we, we do it in a very, very adult manner. And it's a really important topic. So should men in America want to be circumcised? Or do you think that being intact uh, has advantages that perhaps were never offered to you or to me as we grew up? What do you think, John? I guess I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, my son is circumcised. I'm circumcised. Yeah, my kids are. I am. Okay, yeah. they are. I mean, that was the you know, the doctors recommended it. I mean, that was. But evidently, you know, certain doctors are looking at it today and yeah. saying it's really an individual decision. Uh, perhaps some of the things that we've heard in the past about the 
downside of not doing it aren't quite as dramatic as we were told. And again, if the rest of the world doesn't necessarily think this is something that should be done. Do you think this is some kind of conspiracy? (laughs) I don't think you'll hear this one on InfoWars. No, I really don't. But no, really, the question is, I mean, if in fact we know that female mutilation is something that has gone on around the world in various places, and we have all been horrified at the stories of that. I mean, there are certain people who might imagine today, as they think about this issue, not necessarily me or you, that this is doing something to the male body that was not intended by our creator. I never looked at it that way, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So we're going to get into a a conversation about this. And again, whether you have a child on the way or whether this is something that uh, you've thought about and even question what you would do if you became a parent and so forth. And again, it's one of those decisions that uh, the child often has very little to say about it. And there are certain folks who, as adults, do make a decision. And uh, I was talking to somebody, and I say it in the podcast, who was very elderly who felt that for health reasons, he ultimately needed to have circumcision done. And this was very late in life. So it's a very complicated issue, but one that I think we tackle responsibly here on America Trends. With us on America Trends is Anthony Los Quadro, and he is the founder and director of Intaction.org. I think the first thing you need to do, Anthony, is tell us what this organization is about. Well, Intaction is an organization that I started about eight years ago, and we are an advocacy and educational organization, and we promote the positive benefits of having foreskin. And I don't think a lot of people think about this topic very much, but I was really surprised when I started reading into it because there are many articles today about the fact that circumcision rates are dropping sharply in the U.S. Do you find that happening in the West generally or around the world? Give us some international and American perspective on this. Well, in America, circumcision rates have been dropping uh, steadily, really, since the 1980s up until now, and is dropping even faster. Uh, world worldwide, uh, circumcision really isn't practiced that much. Uh, it's only really practiced around the world for religious reasons, and in America, is really the only place it's done for cultural reasons. So, uh, people are becoming more aware of this information due to advocacy groups like my like Intaction and the availability of information on the Internet and media attention to the issue. And people are becoming aware as, you know, and they want to know why are we cutting off healthy body parts off baby boys. And where does the medical community in America stand these days? You know, it's mixed. Um, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's mixed. If you talk to doctors in their office, a lot of them will tell you it's not necessary to do. Uh, It's parental preference or choice. Uh, The American Academy of Pediatrics, which is sort of the uh, organization of record when it comes to issuing policy statements in America, they said that the benefits uh, are not sufficient to recommend circumcision for all babies, but it should remain an option if parents so choose it. What about insurance coverage uh, and Medicaid coverage? Is that something that's in question and perhaps certain people aren't doing it because it's costly? 
Well, that's a good point. I want, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, over 16 states have dropped uh, Medicaid coverage for circumcision, deeming it as unnecessary and cosmetic. So uh, in those states, uh, we tend to see a greater drop-off in, in the procedure being done. I think a lot of people would be surprised uh, to learn that, in fact, uh, the rate has been going down. And I was reading that in 2003, in the West, uh, it was at its lowest point. The circumcision rate of male newborns in the West, however that's defined, was just 31.4%. And I'm talking about the West of the United States. Yeah, well, the the West Coast, you know, uh, when, uh, circumcision rates vary geographically across the United States, so the West Coast is much lower, and uh, the East Coast is kind of like 50-50, and then uh, Central America, the Midwest, tends to be higher. Mm-hmm. And, and so some of that has to do with uh, where trends start, and the you know, West Coast, they're, they're fa- they've been faster to adopt you know, uh, new ways of thinking, that this isn't necessary anymore, also immigration patterns affected where specific especially like latinos and south americans don't you know they would never even consider circumcision for the most part uh so so that's why the the rates vary a little bit uh geographically in the u.s right in the west of uh, the latino population what about uh, the fact that i know i'm jewish so it's part of my faith and it happens without a child really knowing because it happens in the first days of life are there other religious either uh encouragement of the practice or taboo where does it stand uh, across the uh, spectrum as it relates to christianity muslims and the like well it's it's varied obviously like you said uh, it's it's part of the covenant for people of jewish faith uh, muslims also believe that it's necessary to do uh, so they tend to uh, also do it uh, in terms of christianity you know uh, it's not a requirement in in uh, christian faith to do it um I mean, if you go back into religious history, even St. Paul railed against it. He thought it was an abomination. So, uh, so, 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 but then how people interpret religion is varies widely. So, um, you know, there aren't any really specifics beyond that. In 1989, the American Academy of Pediatrics said that there were potential benefits to circumcision. But then, 10 years later, the organization said there was insufficient evidence to recommend the procedure. What happened in that intervening decade? Well, you know, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, or the AAP for short, they flip-flopped back and forth on the issue uh, at least a half a dozen times since from the 70s until now. And uh, it depends on kind of who gets into power in the AAP and who, who forms the committee. So uh, the committee where, where they, they recommended it, it was chaired by a gentleman by the name of Edgar Schoen, who's now since deceased. He was an ardent circumcision promoter, always was. So the, uh, the policy tends to follow the people who are in the committee. Um, and also the AEP is really, when it comes down to it, they're a trade organization. So they're there to protect uh, doctors' insurance reimbursements. And, and so that has a factor into it. Also, when you look at the 2012 policy statement, they specifically say insurance should cover it. Kind of well, do you think that they were that. doing that for their own business benefit? Absolutely. You know, 
uh, circumcision is a profit center. You know, when a pregnant woman comes into a hospital, she is a profit center. And the hospital's there to do as much insurance billing as they can while she was in that hospital. And circumcision can bring in anywhere from 1000 to $2,000 in insurance reimbursements. When we look at this, uh, how much do you equate it to what we hear about in the news in many other countries about female genital mutilation? Do you consider circumcision and your organization to be the equivalent for males? You know, that's kind of a loaded question because the, uh, the women's rights movement, they abhor male genital mutilation being equated to their cause. So it's kind of a tough question without getting too many people upset. But when you when it comes down to it, you know, there's uh, there's a spectrum of female genital mutilation. There's four different types. People think it's just one one monolithic mm-hmm. thing, but there's four different types. And type one of the types is the cutting or removal of the clitoral hood, which is the anatomical equivalent of the male foreskin. So, uh, you know, we think cutting any minors genitals for any reason uh, other than uh, urgent medical need is is genital cutting or genital mutilation we see it as all the same thing do you think is there anything about circumcision that is distinct by that i mean you said the women uh with their uh, genital mutilation there are four different types uh is there only one type of circumcision in terms of men yes uh, principally, it's the it's the entire removal of the foreskin. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much one type when it comes to men. And I'm looking at studies from Africa that are showing that circumcision reduces the risk of acquiring HIV by 40 to 60 percent in men. And they say there's also good evidence to suggest that circumcision lowers the risk of the HPV infection. Uh, do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, those are all red herrings. Those studies are highly disputed by academics and medical professionals, and there's been numerous papers published. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, in Europe, where circumcision is ne- very rarely practiced, less than 1%, all European men are, for the most part, intact, and their, their HIV rate is a fraction of what it is in the United States. Because when you think about it, HIV is transmitted by body fluids not transmitted by foreskin okay mm-hmm. and when it comes to hpv which is the human papillomavirus uh that comes that's transmitted by co- any skin contact it could be the foreskin it could be the penis it could be the rectum it could be the mouth it could be you know it, it could be any skin surface the hpv virus can can reside on so by removing the foreskin it doesn't solve the problem. And if someone was really concerned about that, they have HPV vaccine, which is not over 90% effective. When we do look at this uh, issue, you, your organization, uh, has uh, published uh, a lot of myths about it. What do you think is the greatest myth about circumcision or the lack thereof? That's a good question. I never thought of, thought of it in terms of which is the biggest one. But the thing we hear from people mostly is that it's a hygiene issue. Like men have some kind of a problem with hygiene, like we expect them to brush their teeth or, or wash their hair, but for some reason they can't take two seconds and wash their genitals, like that's a major issue. So I, I, I think the hygiene one is the one I hear the most, and it's, it's kind of like the most amusing. 
Of course, this procedure is generally done with very young children. What about uh, these older men? And I'm going to tell you that I really didn't even know I was going to be doing this podcast. And I was, um, you know, in the company of an older man, much older, in his 90s now. And just a couple of years back, he had the procedure. He became circumcised. And evidently, there were some medical issues that required that. Is that common or, you know, is that rare? That, that's very rare. Um, you know, we, again, we look at European statistics, and less than 2% of European men later in life ever need a circumcision for medical reasons. And you know, I really can't imagine what, why a 90-year-old man would need to be circumcised so late in life. Uh, but it's hard to comment on that because it's just anecdotal, and it's usually second or third-hand information. And, you know, one of the problems with American doctors is the only thing they're trained on when it comes to foreskin is cut it off. They're not trained at all about how to treat it and, um, you know, for, for various issues that can come up, like any body part. Uh, the only thing they're taught is if there's a problem, cut it off, because you know what? That solves the problem, but it also leaves the man without a foreskin. And if, in fact, the rate is going down, that means that there are fathers who are making that decision now along with mothers. So there are fathers who are circumcised, and now there are going to be younger children who are not. Um, I know you talk about that as one of the myths. Well, if Daddy had his done, what about me? I mean, what, what is the public perception of this issue? Uh, some people, they have this notion that the father has to match the son. And, um, you know, but like if, if the uh, father has brown hair and the son has red hair, are we going to color their hair so they both match? Or do we have like a family portrait album of penises where we compare them? So it's just kind of another one of those silly uh, things people use somehow to try to, um, that they need, you know, like they worry about. And, um, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm cut, but my son is intact. And I don't think we're really going to have much to discuss about it. I mean, who cares? What about, uh, you know, the boys in one of your myths, number 15, the other boys will tease him. Is this something that young people, when they're, you know, in some type of sports activity and they're showering next to each other, is this something that comes up? Because I know when I mentioned it to John, my partner here on America Trends, that we were going to do this, this is not a topic that many of us talk about, think about, or discuss out loud. Well, uh, I, I think uh, if your son is intact, uh, you should speak to him about it and let him understand why he is, and that's the way his natural body is. And if he's in a situation where other boys who are cut, uh, maybe they feel inadequate or that they had something taken from them, so they try to, uh, they don't know how to express that, and they may do that by bullying somebody else because they're different. But um, I think in the, in the real world, I think that happens very little. You know, uh, when I was in high school and military, we didn't look at other guys' penises in the shower or the locker room, and we certainly didn't comment on them. So, uh, again, I think this is something that people worry about needlessly or unnecessarily because it doesn't really come up. I know that in years past, you went before the state Senate in Massachusetts looking for circumcision legislation, and that was some years ago. Uh, what is the status today, and what would that legislation look like? Well, you know, when I first got started in this movement, I've been doing it for over 10 years, 
uh, you know, there wasn't much attention on it at all when I first started. We would go months and months without even a news article covering it. Now we seem to get news articles almost every week. Well, yeah, by the way, the Huffington Post recently, Cosmopolitan, this is an issue that is getting a lot of attention. It is. I mean, it's so much coming up that it's hard for even an advocate like myself to, to stay on top of it all. But when I first started, you know, uh, we, we looked at some legislation as a way to generate public attention on the issue. But having done this for so long now, and, and Intaction does public events Month, once or twice a month where we talk to hundreds if not thousands of people and what we find is all people really need is knowledge and information because they or intrinsically know you, you wouldn't cut off a body part and especially something as important as a foreskin once we, we tell people about the foreskin and, and the f four powers of the foreskin as we say it which is pleasure protection lubrication and connection the light bulb goes on and they realize they understand now how important this is to keep so when it comes to legislation, I really don't advocate anymore for legislation because you don't need to legislate knowledge. All, all people need is information, and then they get it. And that's all we really need. But are there public health policies in various states, whether it's legislation, re rules, regulation, reimbursement, that really does push uh, an individual into the decision towards circumcision? There aren't really that I'm aware of other than that, you know, uh, health, health, health insurance providers will generally pay for circumcision if the parents want it. It's, it's an unusual thing in that it's basically a cosmetic procedure, yet parents can opt for it and get it covered by insurance. So um, uh, we would like to see, for instance, maybe perhaps better recording of adverse reactions and, co and consequences uh, to circumcisions. There's no data on when things go wrong, so we really don't know how many issues and complications there are to circumcisions. The hospitals tend to cover it up and sweep it under the carpet, and the parents don't want to talk about it, and we really don't know how many boys are really being damaged by this. What about the requirements as to who can perform this? I know that in the Jewish faith, it can be a trained rabbi. It doesn't have to be a medical professional. Is that anything that uh, is being looked at in terms of the qualifications? Nothing that I'm aware of. You know, New York City has a unique problem in that some of the ultra-Orthodox perform a procedure or a ceremony where they actually place the officiant's mouth on the baby's penis to, uh, to remove the blood, and that has transmitted herpes, and a number of babies have, have died or become seriously damaged from that because the infant's immune system is just too fragile to handle any type of infection. And so the city's tried to put some kind of regulation, even just a notice of consent about what the consequences can be, and that's even been unsuccessful. So, uh, you know, it's just a tough issue. It's a tough spot when you get into the religious First Amendment issues. I know that uh, we have uh, talked about a lot of serious issues in this regard. One of the things that uh, somebody listening to this, and generally our audience is 35 to 60, uh, they're going to want to know what are the implications as it relates to sex. You do deal with that, myth 16, circumcision makes sex better for the woman, and then myth 17, women don't want to have sex with uncircumcised men. How do you react to those? Well, again, those, those are myths, and, and you know, the reality is nature designed the male anatomy to have a foreskin and put it there for a reason. It has four functions. 
First of all, the, it's the pleasure function. The foreskin has over 20,000 nerve endings in it for the male, and that provides better sensation definition. Uh, the foreskin uh, protects the end of the penis, and, and it keeps it moist, and it keeps the skin supple, just like the eyelid protects your eye. And the foreskin provides its own lubrication, which is important during sex. And, you know, we also say that the foreskin provides connection, is connection with your intact body. You're connecting with your partner that's also intact. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just a better overall experience. So sex is better with an intact man. Now, we're not saying that cut men are having a terrible time. What we're saying is, and, and if you're cut, you can have a perfectly good sex life. But what we're saying is a foreskin offers a whole lot more. And Anthony, you told us that you were circumcised. Uh, how concerned are you now that you look back at this, a decision that was made on your behalf by your parents? How do you look at it? Well, you know, it's, it's regrettable. My parents have, have regretted doing it. It's just that when I was born uh, a long time ago, <laughs> uh, virtually all the baby boys were circumcised. It wasn't even something that was discussed. Uh, just as you know, we're all following this herd mentality. So uh, I don't hold it against my parents. They took the advice as laypersons. Uh, this is before the uh, from doctors who who pushed it. Uh, this was before the internet. I mean, back then they couldn't even get the only way they can get information was if they maybe went to a medical library or something. And how practical is that to do? So uh, so it's regrettable, but you know. Perhaps that's what's inspired me to help other people going forward and help the next generation like my son. Are you surprised that there is this movement in the other direction these days? Because as much as it's beginning to get a lot of traction in terms of attention, the attention still is very guarded and very balanced. Well, this or that, and here are the pros, here are the cons. So it's not as if there are a lot of advocacy groups out there. I mean, you're out there, but you can't really say that uh, this trend is something attributable to intaction itself. So what do you attribute it to? Well, there's a number of other advocacy groups uh, that, that do similar work to, to Intaction, and we all kind of have our own niche in, in how we do things. Um, but I think there's just greater understanding by people that the intact body is, is you know, we were designed to be this way, and uh, it just doesn't make sense to, to cut off a healthy part of your body. Uh, so I think people get, I think people are just getting that, you know, this discussed extensively in social media, things like Facebook and Twitter. People discuss this, it just the comments and the, and the threads go on and on and on. And this type of information and this type of exchange wasn't uh, available before. So, uh, so in some ways, it's 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 self-driving, but uh, groups like Intaction. Uh, we're just there trying to get this thing going, you know, as, you know, so we can get American circumcision rates as low as they are in Europe, and we're just trying to get to that spot as quickly as possible. Anthony Lesquadro, he is the founder and director of Intaction, and uh, the group is intaction.org. Thank you so much for being with us today on America Trends. Thank you, uh, Larry and John, and uh, for your listeners out there, if, if they think these issues are important to them and they like to support our work, Please visit our website at uh, intaction.org and, and support us.
All right. Anthony, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Uh, A topic that uh, I'm not certain many podcasts have dealt with, but here we look at trends, and this is obviously a trend in the United States. So thanks again for coming by. Thanks so much.